0: And uh, once again, we're going to look forward to what the Lord has in store for us. We're going to continue in our Growing in the Christian Life study. Again, last week, uh, two weeks ago really, <clears throat> we started with understanding the will of God. Understanding the will of God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Understanding the will of God. should be continuing in prayer about uh, just the uh, uh, new building over there and the work that's being done. Be praying for safety for those working. <clears throat> just the other day we were in there uh, taking out a balcony and walking along on just kind of like those rafters and stuff, you know, and beams instead of any floor. So be careful, you know, just pray for safety for the guys and uh, that the Lord will just protect them along the way. <clears throat> also... Um, be praying, obviously, concerning the sale of our buildings. Um, we've, we've had a number of people call about them. We've had a number of people uh, even go through the buildings. We we've, uh, we've, you know, could possibly have you know somebody that's interested in purchasing it here soon. We don't really have a lot of details. I don't want to give a lot of details about them because I don't think they would, at this point, want it to be public. But <clears throat> we do want you to uh, be praying about it. Um, if this particular buyer would purchase, it would be both buildings at one time. So we're, you know, we're just, uh, of course, it would be for $125,000 for both. But anyway, <clears throat> some of you, I think, feel like God's, that's about all God's capable of doing, by the way. I hope you believe that God can still do it. I mean, I really do. I, I really hope you do, because he can. I'm going to tell you something. When you're where God wants you, things happen. And listen, you don't have to worry about things. You just need to get on board and be faithful. It's going to be just fine. God's good, man. I'm going to tell you, we've got a lot going in that building. A lot of these men in here have been in there, and they're getting fired up. Some of you ladies, we'll get you in there when it's time to haul out the big stuff. <laughs> I don't want your, your husbands and your, your kids hurting their backs, so we'll get you in there, ladies. You're used to hauling around heavy things. I, it was just the other day, I, I uh, was talking with one of the young ladies, or one ladies in our church, and I was holding, I, I just happened to pick up one of the um, baby carriage things, you know, one of those things kids get sat in, you know, car seat or something. Man, let I me mean, tell you, I thought my shoulder was going to come off, you know, separated from my arm, you know, it was that heavy. I, <clears throat> I I don't know how they do it. I don't know how you ladies do that. I, I don't. And, uh, you know, I guess maybe that's why I never offered to do that for my wife. I just... That that stuff's heavy, man. I mean, that stuff's really heavy. So uh, when the heavy lifting comes, maybe we'll give you a call and you can get in there and take care of it. But things are moving along so well. And again, we're just excited about what God's going to do. We're looking forward, like I said, to the sale of the buildings. That's really a vital step now in the process. If we can get a a building sold, that'd be good. Uh, It'd be, you know, probably beneficial if we could sell that one first if they had to go separate. But uh, the ideal thing would be to sell both at the same time and then... Uh, be able to kind of name our time frame and, and that would be the best thing and I'm not I'm not uh, <clears throat> I'm convinced that God can do that so uh, we're excited about what's going on and I know you're praying about it I just want to give you kind of updated be praying please be praying stay faithful at it and don't quit on it because uh, you have not because you asked not so <clears throat> all right uh, notice chapter five and let's go to verse one we'll just read this it's such a tremendous passage be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not be once named among you as become a saints neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. But because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." (coughs) For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice once again, verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Again, God wants us to be understanding. He wants us not to be foolish concerning the will of God. He wants us to be understanding of it. He wants us to exhibit some discernment concerning the will of God. And that's so awfully important because many times, if we're honest, people struggle with knowing the will of God. What's the will of God? You know, what does that mean for me? What uh, does God have for myself, my family, my relationships? I mean, the will of God is something that God wants us to know. And as a result of that, He's saying, let's not be ignorant about this thing. Let's, Let's make sure that we understand what the will of the Lord is. That's my will, that you understand the will. So... We began to discuss it, and we talked about the fact that it is, it is god 's will that all men should be saved it 's quite obvious we noted that second peter three nine the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. some men count slackness, but his long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We said it is god 's will that those who He saves should be sanctified and to be sanctified, made holy, consecrated, set apart for sacred service. We spent a number of minutes discussing that issue, trying to grab hold of that. We said we're to be separated or sanctified from selfish desire, from sinful delights, from satanic devices, and we noted those things, we talked about that, and we said that we were to be sanctified or set apart, not only from the world, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we made those distinctions, and we discussed that last uh, two weeks ago. Now, tonight I want to begin with another aspect of the will of God, and it's this. Number three, it is God's will that those whom he saves and sanctifies should serve him. They should serve him. Before we get started, let's pray. Father, right now, <clears throat> we're asking you this evening to help us. Gathered tonight in this place are some of the best of the best. Father, they've made commitments and they've made sacrifices and, Lord, they have yielded and dedicated their lives to you, Lord Jesus. At least that's how it appears to me from this place here and this pulpit tonight. Lord, for that, I do ask that you speak. And yet, Lord, because we have made our way here, because we have maybe made decisions to serve you in the past, does not mean that we are necessarily where we belong today. We do want You, Father, to have the preeminence in our life. We want You to be magnified in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, we're asking You tonight to speak to us in a supernatural way. May Your Holy Spirit do that work that only He can. Or there's not a mere man in this room that can possibly impress upon the hearts of people, Your people, what You'd have for them. You must do that, the Master. So Lord, help us tonight to be yielded. Fill me with Your Spirit. Let me be Your mouthpiece. Stand in my shoes, and Father, may you just anoint every listening ear, and may we leave here tonight, Father, instructed, encouraged, and inspired in your will and work for our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> now we're talking about the will of God, and we know it's God's will that, that <clears throat> God saves man. He wants men saved, but then he also sanctifies, and those that are saved and sanctified are to be serving the Master. In Ephesians, turn there if you would, chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. We want to note those verses. You're already in chapter 5. Turn back just a few chapters. And we're going to note here in verse 8, 9, and 10 a very important truth. Many of you may be familiar with 8 and 9, but often verse 10 seems to somehow slip under the radar. It says, And for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Notice again, we're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. God hath before ordained. God had already decided. God had already put His plan in place. God had already made up His mind. That when a man, a woman comes to Jesus Christ, they're not just to sit in a pew. They're to take their place out front with a sword. We're to serve the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to do the good works. We're to walk in those good works. We're to be actively striving on behalf of Jesus Christ. God transformed us from darkness to light. And when he did that, he had a reason in mind. And he fully anticipates and he demands that we do good and walk in righteousness. That is not a decision that we are to make, that is a design that God has already put in place. Salvation is not an end in itself, but rather the beginning. It all starts with salvation, but it ends with service. And God would have us serve Him all the days of our lives. Not just the first two months after we get saved. Not just the first two years or the first twenty. But He wants us to serve Him from the very moment we put our faith and trust in Him to the very day we enter into His presence in glory. How does that happen and what steps do we need to take concerning service? Number one... Surrender to God. Surrender. I'm convinced today that very few people ever truly, completely, totally surrender to God. I'm not saying that they don't do something on behalf of God. I'm not implying that they aren't, in some sense, productive on behalf of God. That's not what I'm insinuating. But what I'm saying is, is that if we're going to talk about full surrender, I mean yielded wholeheartedly, 100%, on behalf of Christ, I believe that most Christians, many at least, will never arrive at that place. There will always be a portion that they will withhold from God. There will always be a place within their heart, their mind, that they'll withhold from God. That the key will not be given to the Master. He'll have the whole set, but that one key. And you have access to every room in the life except that one secret place that is mine and mine alone. God intends us to be surrendered If you truly want to serve God as God intends, you need to fully and completely surrender to God. That means to give God the good, the bad, and the indifferent. To say whatever comes my way, I'll accept it on behalf of, from a hand of a good God. I'll not go ahead and I'll not, I'll not be angry or upset. You have the right to do with me as you please and use me as you choose. Full surrender. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He goes on to say, Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We are to be surrendered to the Master, wholeheartedly surrendered to Jesus Christ. But then, once you fully surrender, once you give your all to Jesus Christ, once you say, It's no longer my life, it's your life, Jesus. Then you need to sign up. You gotta sign up. Now again, let me let me let me I'm just gonna go back a little bit again. You wanna know why people start to serve and then fall off? Because they never fully surrender to begin with. You count on that. You can count on that. There's always been a piece apart. There'll be a message probably I'll preach here soon, but I often think of it kind of like. Standing on the edge of a swimming pool. And all I know, I don't know about you, but I don't like jumping in a pool. It's cold usually, at least in comparison to the you know—the the environment around you, so you kind of put your foot in, right? Wow, that's cold. That ain't getting any warmer. And then you know how it is. Sometimes you go on around over there to the steps, you know, and you step down in you're like... And you shake a little bit. And then then maybe you might take another step in. I I, kind of look at at the surrendered life, the Christian life, kind of like that. I I feel like there's a lot of Christians putting a foot in. And go, wow, that's cold in there. I don't know if I want to get all in that. And maybe they step down in just a little bit. Maybe even a couple steps. It's all the way up to here now. And it's cold now still, but they're starting to get used to it a little bit down there, but then they still just aren't willing to just dive in. They're not willing to fully submerge themselves in the things of Christ. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. It's a lot easier to get out of the water when you're only a few steps in. When you get all the way in, you look pretty funny going to the grocery store all wet. You look kind of different now all of a sudden trying to trying to go out to eat when your hair's wet and there's water dripping off you. When you've been all in, you stand out. And unfortunately, too many have gotten down in just deep enough to where their legs and their knees might have got a little wet, but everything else looks pretty normal. They jump back out and say, I don't think I want to get in all the way. Until you get in all the way, it's easy to get out. God wants you fully surrendered, and then He wants you to sign up. If you start signing up before you're fully surrendered, you'll probably get a little bitter. Disenchanted. Bored with the ministry. Because see, the ministry itself is nothing but work. And rarely do you get a pat on the back. And if you are in it for that, you will leave you got to get in all the way first with Christ and have a walk with the Lord. And then when you sign up, there will be nobody that can tell you to get out. Because even, even the devil won't be able to scare you away because you'll already be God's property. You'll be in His presence and you'll be experiencing His joy. And even when the times get tough and the work that God's called you to do and people treat you miserably, you still have a good God to lean on. Surrender to God and sign up at church. By the way, God's purpose in this age is fulfilled through the local church. Every believer is to be a part of and get involved in the local church. I'm not talking about something you can't see. I'm not talking about a radio ministry or a television ministry. I'm talking about a local, visible, physical church that you can literally sit down in a pew or in a chair or on the ground even and join in the fellowship one with another. God intends the world to be reached with the gospel through churches that you can see, feel, touch, and enjoy. By the way, if you're sending money to a church on television, you're wasting your money. You ought to be sending it to a place where you can see what God is doing with it first hand. You ought to be tithing to your church. You ought to be giving above and beyond in your church. You ought to be participating in the, the faith promise and participating in the building fund. And you ought to be involved in the giving up to your neck. But by, by, by God's grace, may we see the reality that God is in the local church today. Sign up. Get involved. I know I made a lot of friends just now. But I can guarantee you there's a local ministry that you're a part of that can use that money and it'll be used for things that you'll be able to see and it'll affect people that you can touch. I believe that too often we get involved in too many other things other than the local church. I believe that we'll regret investing in the clubs, the teams, the organizations, and the institutions whose fruit and reward are only temporal. Temporal is the grass that fades with the sun. small factory had been shut down because of one of the vital pieces of machinery that had broken. The company mechanic, he was just unable to figure it out. He just couldn't get a handle on it. He couldn't get it running. So they called in an expert. Well, the man looked over the machine for just a few minutes. He took a hammer. He tapped it and it began running like it's supposed to. Just took it, pop. Zing. He submitted his bill. The bill was $1,500. The owner hit the roof, of course. He couldn't handle it. He just about flipped out. He's like, wait a second. Five minutes of work for that much? I want an itemized bill and I want it now. He got his itemized bill, and it said, "For tapping machine, 10 dollars. For knowing where to tap, 1490." <laughs> Let's face it, it's always valuable to know where to tap, or where to exert your energies to the greatest to get the greatest return, isn't it? I mean, there were people, I'm sure, pouring over that machine, spending hours in, of time and effort. But listen, it wasn't until that expert stood up and said, I know exactly where to get the best return for my effort, pop, that it started running. And I want you to understand today that you need to make a wise investment in your life. And I promise you this, you cannot make a wiser investment than in the work of God at the house of God. A young man. He'd come to an old professor of a very distinguished university, and he was very, he, he and with with great pleasure, he informed him that he that, uh, that that he, the greatest desire of his heart was fulfilled. And he said, "I finally figured it out. I'm going to study law." He was so happy that he had finally figured it out. And the gentleman said, "Well, when when you've." Finished your study. What do you mean to do then? Well, then I'll take my degree. And then. Well, then I'll I'll get cases and and win win fame and, and by my eloquence and acuteness. And then. Well, then then I'll be promoted and become rich. And then. Isn't that the real question? Hey, listen, after time has gone, eternity begins. What then? Well, I've got things that are important in my life. I've got to accomplish some things and I wanna I wanna get through some things and I wanna enjoy some things and experience some things. What then? What then? You just don't understand. You're a little older now and and I'm young and I've got my whole life ahead of me or I'm middle-aged and I've got a family and I'm I'm trying to put kids through school. and and I know, but what then? See, when time ends, eternity begins. Can I say this? And I don't mean to bring up any sad memories, Mrs. Francis, but... (laughs) I don't think Doc today, most of you know who Doc was. I don't think Doc today regrets teaching Bible college to the day he died. I don't think he regrets preaching around the country, giving his life for the gospel's sake. I don't think he regrets it one moment today, now that he's in eternity. See, what then? What then? Finally, just start serving. Everyone's service may vary, but it is the will of God that all serve Him in some capacity. I want to give you just a thought. Think about this for a minute. Judas had sold out and he conspired against the Lord Jesus Christ, and now he's on a crash course with betrayal when Jesus says to him at the Last Supper, That thou doest, do quickly. That thou doest, do quickly. Again, he's on a crash course with betrayal. He's going to kiss the master there, and the soldiers will have have a clear idea of who he is. Oh, I'll identify him. I'll kiss him. I'll kiss him. You'll know exactly who Jesus is. Jesus says to him, But thou doest, do quickly. See, if Judas headed to the crossroad of betrayal and destruction, if he being admonished to move quickly to that place by the Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder how much more quickly we should move toward dedicated service and eternal reward then. If Judas was admonished to move quickly to destruction... How much more quickly should we move to dedication and service and reward? Jesus said, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus realized that He had been given a divine mission. That His days on earth were numbered. And thus a sense of urgency prevailed and accompanied His earthly ministry always. Everywhere Jesus went, everything He did had a sense of urgency tied to it. We go about life, and if we're not careful, almost lackadaisical, apathetically, as though we have every hour and every week and every month and every year still ahead in life, and yet God says we're not promised tomorrow. But God has given you and I a wonderful privilege to be a part of His service in His family. And He says, I've given you this service to perform. I want you to be involved in my work. I give you that privilege. And we're like, well, if it fits, if it's not too complicated, if it doesn't become too uncomfortable. Jesus said there was nothing that stood would stand between me and the work that my Father gave me. And that ought to be our attitude. Number four, the will of God. It is God's will that those whom He saves and sanctifies and who serve Him, here we go now, should also suffer for and with Him. Now, this is where it gets tough. See, it's God's will that those whom he saves and sanctifies and who serve him, they should also suffer for and with him. See, first of all, God permits suffering in the lives of his children. He permits it. If we're not careful, we get the idea or we somehow grasp the concept, a misunderstood concept. We get the idea that because God's good, nothing bad should ever happen to his children but god permits suffering in the lives of his children look at first peter chapter 4 verse 19 please first peter chapter 4 verse 19 it says in first peter chapter 4 verse 19 wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of god commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing as unto a faithful Creator. Notice once again, that suffer according to the will of God. There's a number of reasons why God may permit suffering in our lives. And we don't have the time to go into each and every one of them. However, it is the will of God at times for His children to suffer. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ... Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. God never promises a rose garden. God never promises a life free from trial and tribulation. God never makes those kind of promises. Preachers may. Other believers may. Soul winners may. We may not maybe say it. Directly, but if you're not careful, you can imply it indirectly. And as a result, people become very disenchanted and dissatisfied with the, 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 the relationship that they supposedly have. And they say, man, I thought I was getting into something good, not something bad. Because I don't know about you, but I noticed this. The moment someone gets saved, it seems like everything breaks loose. They get the flat tire. Their wife... Hits them in the pan, with, on the head with a pan. That happens all the time with our people here. You can tell by the way the guys walk around here. Their eyes are a little glassy. Kind of stagger every once in a while. Well, that just might be because they work long hours. But anyway, I just, I, I'm just telling you, everything bad in the world's going to happen the moment someone gets saved, right? I, we, can't, we can't promise somebody, oh, your marriage will be fixed. Get saved. Your marriage will be fine. We can't tell them, oh, get saved and your children will live for God. We can't say, get married and your financial problems will disappear. We can't say those things. We don't know those things. We can say that if you apply biblical principles, God will help you to get through those problems and ultimately be victorious and triumph. We can say those things we cannot guarantee that their problems will be solved because they put their faith in Christ. Because God permits suffering in the lives of His children. B, God promises suffering in the lives of those who live godly. I mean, He doesn't even just permit it. He promises it. In 2 Timothy three twelve. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And finally, God prescribes suffering in the lives of those He uses greatly. Not only does he permit it, not only does he promise it for those who live godly, but he prescribes suffering in the lives of those he uses greatly. The Apostle Paul was a person like that, wasn't he? He suffered. As a matter of fact, Ananias, uh, Christ told Ananias about Paul, he said in Acts 9.16, For I will shew him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Hey, by the way, Paul, uh, I'm showing up on this road to Damascus here, and I just want you to know, I'm going to save you, but only to a road of sorrow. A road of suffering. Okay. What if, what if you knew the moment you accepted Christ, that's what you had to look forward to? Can I tell you this, though? If you knew that's what you had to look forward to when you trusted Christ and you still trusted Christ, you wouldn't whine and complain and quit the first time trouble and trial came. But you know why most of us do whine and complain and ultimately curse God half the time, shake our fists, get upset with Jesus? Because we expect something that is unscriptural. Why would God permit, promise, and even prescribe suffering for his own children? Well, <clears throat> speaking of trials and testings, the famous preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, made this statement. Here's what he said. I'm going to read it. It's fairly lengthy. It's not super long, but it's a paragraph or so. He said, speaking of, he said, perhaps, O tried soul, the Lord is doing this to develop thy graces. There are some of thy graces which would never have been discovered if it were not for the trials. Dost thou not know that thy faith never looks so grand in summer weather as it does in winter? Love is too off like a glow worm, showing but little light except it be in the midst of surrounding darkness. Hope itself is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity and only to be discovered in the night of adversity. Afflictions are often the black folds in which God does set the jewels of His children's graces to make them shine the better. It was but a little while ago that on thy knees thou was saying, Lord, I fear I have no faith. Let me know that I have faith. Was not this really, though perhaps unconsciously, praying for trials? For how canst thou know that thou hast faith until thy faith is exercised? Depend upon it. God often sends us trials that our graces may be discovered and that we may be certified of their existence. Besides, it's not merely discovery. Real growth in grace is the result of sanctified trials. God trains His soldiers, not in tents of ease and luxury, but by turning them out and using them to forced marches and hard service. He makes them ford through streams and swim through rivers and climb mountains and walk many a weary mile with heavy knapsacks on their backs. Well, Christian, may not this account for the troubles through which you are passing? Is not this the reason why He is contending with you? George Mueller remarked to a gentleman who had asked him the best way to have strong faith. He said, the only way to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. I have learned my faith by standing firm amidst severe testings. George Mueller, the great prayer warrior of God. Is this not the way of Abraham? He was forced to travel by faith, and he ultimately chose by faith. And there on Mount Moriah, God demanded his only son a sacrifice. Can you imagine God saying, I want that son, that object of your affection, that idol in your life. If indeed you choose it over me, it is. By the way, children can become idols. The testing came. And there he was tested, and there he triumphed by faith. For Abraham, when hope was gone, hoped on in faith. His faith never quailed. See, enduring great testing produces great faith. Preacher, I am just fed up with my life. It seems that every time I turn around, there's something going on in my life or in my family or in my body, even. I'm so sick and tired of trials and testing. Where's God? That's a crazy question. If indeed we believe this book. Sadly enough, we are so pompous, so pitiful. And so prideful that we do not believe ourselves in need of trials. We're spiritual giants already, God. I go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night. I don't need any more testings to prove my faith. I am a man or a woman of faith. Ask anybody at the church. They know who I am and what I am. I don't know about you, but one day I'll stand before God and your testimony will mean nothing, only His will. I'm just saying tonight that with all cautiousness and carefulness as I preach this message, we as believers cannot depend and expect a bed of roses because it is ordained of God. If our faith is to grow, we must endure trials and tribulations. It's been said that the time to trust is when all else fails. Mrs. Chaz E. Kalman, the author of Streams in the Desert, makes this statement. She says, Dear one, you scarcely realize the value of your present opportunity. If you're passing through great afflictions, you're in the very soul of the strongest faith. And if you will only let go, He'll teach you in those hours the mightiest hold upon His throne which you can ever know. A.B. Simpson said, Be not afraid, only believe. And if you are afraid, just look up and say, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. And you will yet thank God for the school of sorrow, which was to you the school of faith. James chapter 1 verse 3 through 4 says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If our goal is truly to be Christ-like, to be filled with the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, then we must be prepared and readied to accept the trials and the tribulation, the good and the bad, from the hand of a good God. I think of Job when his wife told him to curse God and die. He simply said, shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? Are we only to receive the good? And if not, we curse our God? Who is this God you serve? Is He not most concerned about your life? Your future? Is it not eternity that He looks at when He views you? If in this life you and I must endure some tribulation or trial in order that we shine one day in the presence of God, will it not be worth it? I don't believe we believe that in America. I'm convinced that in most cases we would much prefer, forego, much rather forego the trials. And enjoy the comforts of this life to the dismay of the next. But if there is a man of God in this house, young or old, and he is willing to forbear then God will use you in the midst of a perverse generation. There's a young lady that is willing to endure, to accept even from the hand of a loving God, the very hurts and heartaches that come with this life. Willing to be molded and made into the creature that God intends them to be. God will use you in this crooked and perverse generation. But until we get to that place that we are willing to let God have his will and fully, completely, totally surrender to him, we will be powerless. Satan and this world will prevail. Sadly enough, we believe that a partial commitment is enough. But if you will ask the Olympians that are making their way across the sea to perform and to take their place as America's best, to represent this nation, if you said, would just half your workout be sufficient? Would just 80% of the effort be enough? They would speak with a resounding no. 100%. 100% effort. Nothing less is expected or needed if we are to succeed in triumph. And is it not a sad day when athletes in America are willing to suffer and sacrifice more than the soldiers of Jesus Christ? Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, although in this room are gathered the cream of the crop, the best of the best... Each and every one of us need encouraged, and each and every one of us need to be motivated, and each and every one of us need to be pushed to go to another level in our lives on a regular basis. Help us, Lord, not to settle. Lord, help us, Father, to truly triumph, to give our very best, filled with Your Spirit, to make a decision to fully surrender, and then, even if necessary, allow You to bring Suffering into our lives, that we might be men and women of faith. Faith that can move mountains. Faith that can bend knees, humble hearts. Faith that can win a generation that's lost and in darkness. Faith. Lord, help us. And bless Your people. May we know Your will, understand Your will, and not be ignorant of it. You want all men to be saved. You want all men to be sanctified. You want all men and women to be serving. You want all of us to be willing and understanding of the suffering. Realizing that it only tempers us. And makes us strong on your behalf. Lord, help us now, we pray, to surrender and submit ourselves to you wholly. In Christ's name, amen.